You know, men's ministry, it's interesting. Um, the average tenor in a church across the country is two years for a pastor. Uh, and then the denomination moves them on. So what happens is it makes the church matriarchal because if the denomination is bringing in a new pastor, the elders' wives are saying, don't let this guy mess with our school. Don't let this guy mess with our classes. Don't let this guy mess with our Sunday school. Don't, because he's going to be gone in two years, and this is ours. We're still going to be here. So the churches, so many of them become matriarchal. A number of years ago, we sat with Chuck, and we went around the table with Rawl and Mike McIntosh and, and Greg and just everybody. How many years have you been at your church? 22, 25, 30, 33, 40. And you realize the average length of time that the guy had been in the pulpit in his church was over 20 years. What happens then is it makes the church patriarchal. The men, you know, you get to watch this guy from the time he's young, the struggles he has raising his kids, the marriage grows. You find out he's an Eagles fan. You know he's spiritual. You know, he just, and, and something happens. You know, the church is hearing about my grandkids now. The church knows my kids, knows my struggles, knows when my feelings are hurt. They know when I'm tired. They've been looking at me way too long, you know. Uh, but the church then becomes patriarchal. The, the men have a place. The men are in the place they should be. And it's okay to, to play sports. It's okay to love the Eagles. It's okay, you know, we've, we've got one of the best fighters in the world in our church, you know. Just, it's okay, I like the guy, you know. I often think if somebody messes with me on Sunday, I hope I'm sitting there talking to him. And I hope it's a really big guy who needs it to learn a lesson. Uh, 6'10 or something, I don't know, but. So, great that the men are together, it's so important. It really is. I'm going to be in Psalm 119, verse 9, where it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? It's a question. I think with everything happening uh, in the news and everything going on around us, the accusations you know, what's true, what's not true, but the point is in our culture, with media, with exposure, Google knows everything about you. Google knows more about you than the NSA does, you know. There's anything we haven't done, or we haven't, you know, logged on, or we haven't just, that they don't know, they don't see. We just, you know, the great thing about what the Lord says is when we cleanse our way, it's gone. The, it's from, from removed from the cloud, literally. It's just, it's gone. And he has something to say to us about that. It's interesting. I, I started to look at this. You can just stay at Psalm 119 because I was in uh, Proverbs the other year and I was reading, there are three things which are too wonderful for me. Yea, four which I know not. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent, on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, the way of a man with a maid. And interestingly, it ends, such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth, she wipeth her mouth, and she says, I have done no wickedness. Now, I'm, I'm drawn to it because I love eagles. Um, 
you know, that the Lord would bear us on eagles' wings. And, you, you, you know, you read things. I've been reading for years that how the eagle, you know, will put thorns in its nest and then cover that with fur. And then as the young ones get older, they pull the, the fur out so they get stuck and they have to jump out of the nest. And when they fall off the cliff, the mother eagle swoops underneath and bears them up and teaches them to fly, keeps throwing them off till they learn. You know, just, and you read that stuff and you think, well, I don't. People love to make great analogies, but I don't know what's true. So I called uh, the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia and said, "Is this? You've got guys got stuffed eagles there? You got an eagle guy?" And they said, "No, call University of Pennsylvania, the veterinary hospital. There's a guy over there who just does birds, you know." Just so I call over there, and he said, "Yeah." He said, "You know, I'm not sure what you want to know, but if you call the Smithsonian Institute, there's a guy down." So I called the Smithsonian Institute. And they said there's a guy named uh, Dr. Clayton White at Brigham Young University that knows more about eagles than anybody. And I called and he got on the phone with me. He, he was a Mormon, but he knew all the verses. Uh, and he talked to me for like an hour and a half. He said, no, that's not, he said, look, that's not what, he, he said, trust me, he said, I've raised eagles from egg and they got older and they flew away. I never kicked them out of the nest. I never did any of that stuff, he said. He said, what we found is that they have this system of, of tubes in their eyes, and there's an electrolyte fluid in there called pectin. So what happens, he said, is eagles, they, they, they mate for life. Do you guys know this? I can give you some free eagle information. I could ruin the whole study because I could go on <laughs> easily 40 minutes on eagles without. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, they mate for life, so they always come back to the same nest. They, they, uh, when, a, when a young male eagle starts to be a suitor, and a, a female will, will get close and they'll fly, and a female will go down and pick up a log or a stone or something and drop it, and the male will swoop down and pick it up before it hits the ground. And each time, maybe three times, she gets something heavier and she does it closer to the ground. And if he intercepts that all three times, then you have a good male. That's a good husband. And then they go up to about 8,000 feet, and she starts to dive, and he comes down on her back. And right before he hits her on the back, she turns upside down. They lock, they lock talons, and they fall screaming. And when they let go, they're married. It's obvious. the opposite with us. We, we get married, then we lock talons and scream <laughs> the rest of the way down. But uh, then, then they have a, a, a partner for life. You know, their, their bones are lighter than their feathers. They get up in the morning, they preen themselves, particularly in this part of the world. They sit on a rock ledge. They can read a newspaper from a block away. Their vision is eight to 10 times more powerful than ours. So while they're preening, they're watching a rodent on the ground. They're getting ready. And then the, the rocks warm up, the updraft begins to come. And when the updraft is coming, they're all preened. They just step off and they go and they fly. And what happens is the younger ones then, when, the, when they'll jump out of the nest, they'll start to fly, and the, the mother will come under them, doesn't catch them, and the young one will fly right on top of the, the mom, and they fly on these circuits, and what happens is those tubes in their eyes begin to harden, and they become a compass because they can feel the electrolyte fluid pulling in different directions, they can always come back to the place where they were born, the same area, year after year, whatever their migratory pattern is in the rift over there. And Clayton White said, Moses wrote 
what they were observing, but here's what was going on behind the scenes, you know. So just amazing as I, as, as I loved it. I started to look at this, you know. Here's, you know, Agur, you know. Uh, this is a book of wisdom. And he says, you know, there's a couple things that, that freaked me out. One of them is the way of an eagle in the air. You know, just they can just go the way they can dive, the way they can move. He says the way of a serpent on a rock. It's different in the sand because you can see the, the trail. You can see where the animal goes. But a serpent on a rock, you can't see an approach. You can't see a departure. The way of a ship in the midst of the sea, it's the same thing. There's a, the, 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 the wake, you know, in the front as the ship moves, the displacement, there's, there's nothing, you can't see anything. And then the wake disappears immediately. There's no visible way of tracking where it had gone and where it had come from. And of course he says the way of a man with a maid who can understand that, you know, because when you fall in love, you lose your mind, you know. So the, the way of a man with a maid, there's a mystery there. When you see them walk into church with the same sweater on or the same, then you're like, oh, please. Hopefully it's not two Dallas jerseys or something, you know. But such is the way of an adulterous woman. How do we get involved in this stuff? How does a man fall? How do we get tangled up in something we shouldn't get tangled up in? How does pornography overtake us? He said, you know, there, wisdom, there, there are things in life you don't know the approach. You don't see the trail. You don't see how it moves. It doesn't leave a track anywhere. There's, it's, it's too mysterious in its manner to know its approach. And when it's gone, it doesn't leave. And it says an adulterous woman's like this. She wipes her mouth and says, I didn't need anything. And we're living in that culture now. We're watching this whole hearing for the Supreme Court. Well, I'm not taking sides. I'm just saying we're looking at the insanity that's, that surrounds us everywhere, social media. You know, Snapchat was invented for sinful kids. You know, the, 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 you, you look at what's going on in all of this and you think, Lord, I have a traitor inside that's inclined to this stuff. How do I, you know, how do I pull away from this? How do I walk this walk properly? And here the psalmist says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Question mark. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal, I mean, the idea is by what means, you know. You, you get snagged in something. Look, it can be bitterness. It can be revenge. It can be pornography. It can be an affair. It can be an attraction we shouldn't have in one direction or another, whatever it might be. And we know it's not in keeping with who we should be, how we should be walking. And sometimes the privacy of that is torturous. 
because we're men, the way God made us, in our pride, it's very difficult sometimes to open up to find somebody to be accountable to. And it can be torturous. This is written in a question, wherewithal, by what means? How can this happen? It's an inquiry that's being made. How can our way be cleansed? It's telling us several things. Look, we have a way. We have a way. Um, the way of an eagle in the air, the way of a snake upon a rock. There's the way of a ship in the sea, a way of a man with a maid. There's the way of an adulterous woman. We have a way. Uh, it can mean road. It's often used in Job, Psalms and Proverbs of a moral or ethical, your manner your mannerisms. Each of you have a way. My wife has a way about her. And I'm still breaking the code. You know. <laughs> Honey, do you want to go food shopping with me? That's not really a question. <laughs> I've broken that much of the code. Yes, I do. <laughs> She has a way about her, you know. She has. A, I watch her with the grandkids. She has a way about her. She has, you know. I, I'm understanding that. The, the thing that's not fair is in every season the ways change, you know, of life. Here's the way. I've raised four kids. They were all different. You think opposite has two directions till you have your third kid, you know. How can the same gene pool, honey? You've been faithful to me, right? How can the same gene pool produce? Four people that are so different. Because God is content for us to have a way. There is a way we all have in common. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That is the way we all have in common. But God in his genius has seen fit to design us that each of us as men, we have a way. There's some guys we get along with, some guys we don't, you know. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance. Sometimes you need those fruits with some men, you know. But, but we have a different way. We have a way about us. And that's okay. My, my, my sons, they're, they're different. I just want them to find God's way for their life. I don't care if I have to pay for college and they don't use that. I don't care. I want them to find God's way for their lives. My daughters, now my grandkids, they're all different. So God's given you that. We have, a, we have a commonality in this pilgrimage, but each of us, we have a way. No doubt there's a path prescribed for each of us that's different in some ways. But then intrinsically, there's a, we have a way about us. We have mannerisms. How do we keep all of that clean? How does that stay clean in this world that is specifically designed to pollute that for its own monetary benefit, one thing or the other, political benefit, whatever. How do we manage that? We have a way to walk in, to struggle in, to rejoice in, to doubt in, to pray through. We know that the way can only be cleansed as the heart is cleansed. Uh, Solomon would say, guard your heart with all diligence, 
put a garrison around it because from the heart flows the issues of life, not from the intellect. Now, the heart is not the muscle that beats in your chest. The heart is the deepest part of man. There's something deeper in each of us than intellect. Desire is seated there. What drives a man is the deeper part of his being. I have PhDs at church that have fallen into adultery, made foolish mistakes. You think, here's the smartest guy in the world that did the dumbest thing. How does that happen? It was because the heart. The issues of life, the ways of life flow forth from the seed of desire. The heart always makes a convert of the mind. What your heart wants and longs for, if you play with it, ultimately, it will get your mind to make excuses why that's okay, why you deserve it, why that should happen. The heart always makes a convert of the mind. David says in Psalm 51, he says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Listen, create bara. We're ex nihilo, where God creates something from nothing. David doesn't say, reform me, send me to rehab, you know, make me go through the 12 steps. He says, Lord, I need a heart that I have never had before. I don't know about you guys, but I have prayed that prayer in my selfishness, in my lust, in my anger. I said, Lord. The heart that I've had, Lord, is there's a traitor that dwells there. It's not sufficient. Create in me a clean heart, Lord. Renew a right spirit within me. It says, then I will teach transgressors thy way. Thy way. We can't do that till our way is cleansed. And the way is never cleansed until the heart is cleansed. How does that happen? It says, he tells us here. Wherewithal shall a young man, that includes all of us guys, right? Because even though we started when we were young, we're still trying to figure it out. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, question mark, by taking heed there to according to thy word. Taking heed tells us how. It's to observe. When you take heed, it's like, to yield to a warning. When you take heed to something, it's most often not yielding to your natural inclination, but there's some, a warning, a check, and you're going to yield to that. That's taking heed. It's an observation. One of the pilgrim writers said, life is a long observation. It's a long observing. We don't take heed one time, then we're done, and we move on to the next class. We take heed our entire lives. Not popular opinion, not psychobabble. It says, by taking heed to thy word, O Lord. Look, one writer said, you can't form a new habit unless you break an old habit. I understand what he's saying. We, we, we know the axiom, if you sow a thought, you reap an action. If you sow an action, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. If you sow a character, you reap a destiny. And I understand all of that. But it isn't something that you're going to do in your own strength. Cleansing doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. Cleansing doesn't come 
to the, you know, we're, we're, we're born again, regeneration has taken place, we're still carrying around this bag of bones, and inside of us, there's still that traitor. We're told not to let our flesh, which is not talking about just your skin, your carnal nature, reign. Don't let that happen. Because we have a new nature now that's superior to that, not to let the old nature reign in our mortal bodies. But it's interesting, Paul tells us in Galatians, he says there, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary to one another, so you cannot do what you would. It's very interesting. He says, the flesh lusteth against the spirit. It's a military word. The idea is that they're contrary, they're entrenched, they're dug in. If you picture a World War I um, you know, battlefield where the guys dug in in a trench on one side and they're dug in in a trench, that's the idea. Your flesh and the spirit are entrenched. They're dug in. They're contrary to one another. So much so, there's not a third opinion. You can't do what you want to do. There's one, and, and what I find is the flesh is always first. Somebody cuts me out in traffic. It's not the spirit that speaks up first. <laughs> Pray for that poor guy. He'll learn to drive. <laughs> What comes up first is, you idiot, I can't, you know, just, I, just, I, I remember years ago when Joanna was little, and she's, she's 38 years now, so I've, I've been more sanctified since then. <laughs> but we were driving in the winter, it was snowy and icy, she was sitting in the back seat, she was about six, and this person's looking at me coming down the street, and right when I got there, they pulled out. I jammed on the brakes, the car went sideways, and out of my mouth came a profanity. It wasn't the F word, but it was, you know. And then we skidded straight again, and I looked in the rear view, and, and Joanna's sitting back there. I said, I am so sorry, Joanna. I said, look, those were adjectives before I got saved. You know, this, is the, this is the way I talked when I was an unbeliever. She said, Dad, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. you know, he's making such a big deal about it, you know, just, you know. But, but that nature is in there, you know. And that, it comes to the surface first when there's a test. When there's a, he says, the flesh lies against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They're dug in. They're contrary. So you can't do the things that you want to. So this, this long taking heed, it hasn't stopped in my life yet. I can still get in the flesh. How do we do it? He says it's by the word, taking heed to the word, yielding to the word, observing the word. And the great thing is we all have the same book. We all have the same book. Look, and it's written in a common language. Understand when, when David wrote this, Psalm 119, it wasn't in Hebrew. I mean, it was Hebrew, but it wasn't Hebrew to the Hebrews. It was English to the Hebrews. When Paul writes the New Testament in Greek, that's Greek to us. It wasn't Greek to them. It was English to them. It was their common language, their nomenclature. We have God's word meticulously translated in our mother tongue, in our common language. You know Hebrew, you know Greek, great. I don't want to hear you know Hebrew, Greek, and you're cheating on your wife. I am not impressed. You understand? Because it's about the way we live. And then those things are great. I love to study. But we have this in our mother tongue. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed unto thy word, observing it, yielding to it, because there's going to be a battle that's going to try to get you to do something else. 
to take heed to it. Look, Hebrews 4, the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing down between soul and spirit, between what is soulish in our lives and what is spiritual in our lives, down to the dividing asunder of the marrow and of the bone. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, it says to us there. And it tells us in the context of that, that there isn't anything that isn't naked and open before the one we have to do, that we're completely exposed. It talks about a neck being open to be sliced. We are completely vulnerable and exposed to the one we have to do with the thoughts and intents of our heart. The word of God even judges that. And it says, but we don't have a high priest who can't be touched with our infirmities. Not he doesn't intellectualize them. He's touched with our infirmities because he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He, there was no traitor inside. He had the sinful nature, so which made sin to him more abhorrent than it is to us because there was nothing in him that agreed with it. And then on the cross... The Father lays on him the iniquity of us all. He bore our sins upon the tree. We can't imagine, but we have this high priest. So it says then this. It says, let us then come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. It's very interesting. Let us come boldly. The etymology of that word means free speaking, the bottom line. Like you might with your wife or with your kid or your best friend, you might just dump everything out. You don't hold anything back. You just free speak. It's saying we can go to him like that. You can dump everything out at his feet. This is what the word is telling us. You can go to Jesus and dump it all out because he's touched with that. He walked in our skin. He was tempted in every way as we are. That we can go, and I hear people say, well, it means he was tempted with homosexuality. No, it doesn't mean that. Because there was nothing inside of him attracted to any of that. But he knows the temptations. Satan in the wilderness. Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, why have you forsaken me? He, he knows temptation deeper and abandonment and struggle than a human ever would. But we can go to him, you know, and look, I don't think a lot about priests, and priests aren't getting a good rap these days either, you know. I, I've been evangelical for a long time, but I'm in Hebrew, so it's making me think very much about a priesthood than I normally do. But it's, it's freeing to run to him and realize I can be free speaking. I can talk. He sees it in my heart anyhow. He sees it in my thoughts anyhow. So I might as well just, I can go and dump it all out in front of him. That's acceptable because he's touched with it. And it says if I do that, I'll obtain mercy. And in that reality of obtaining mercy instead of, it's a throne of grace, not of judgment. As I obtain mercy, I find grace. And it helps in that time of need. Hebrews 4, John 17, 17 says, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. 
thy word is true. Set their lives aside by thy word. Sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. Not thy word is true. It's way beyond that. Thy word is truth itself. Thy word is truth. Psalm 119.103 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. They never saw a flashlight. Uh, they, you know, it's a lamp unto my feet, speaking of the nighttime. It's a light unto my path, speaking of sunlight during the day. Your word keeps me day and night. Isaiah 55 says, It's like the rain and the snow that comes down from heaven. It doesn't return void. It says it accomplishes. The word of God does. Paul in 1 Thessalonians said, you know, when we came and preached the word to you, you received it as it was, the word of God, not the word of man, and that it effectually worketh in you. The church has lost track of the fact that it doesn't have to help the Bible. You just need to let it out of the cage. You just need to re release it, let it go. It's supernatural. It accomplishes it sanctifies, it heals, it cleanses our way. The word of God itself, it's the word of God, the very breath of almighty God, the theonustos, it's gone to the page through the writer's hand. The very word of God. He says, this is, this is how it happens. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By giving heed unto thy word. And then in verses 10 and 11, we only got two verses left, don't worry. Both of those are singular, and it becomes personal in both places. The individual man. With my whole heart, he says, have I sought thee. The individual talking to his Lord. Can we say that? That's a challenge for me sometimes. With my whole heart, have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Must be wholehearted. No battle is won. No wrestling match is won unless it's wholehearted. My relationship with my wife. We will not mark on a grade all the time. Look, come on. I get it. Give me an 85. I'm not like that other sap. I'm doing pretty good. Imagine in my wife, if we pledged faithfulness to each other and she said, I'll give you 90 percent. I'm going to reserve, it might be a guy here and there, but I'm going to give you 90%. What do you want? That's not good in my relationship with her. With my whole heart. Half-hearted, it never works. It, and it is, it's difficult. Listen, I remember Don McClure. He says some things that are unforgettable. But he was talking about, he said, when I was a kid, he said, we loved to. He said, we would get flies and bees and we would pull their wings off and put a little thread around them. And he said, you know, he said, we were sick. You know, we just, there was a sick enjoyment then. And then they couldn't fly. They jumped around. We had them on a little leash, you know. And he, and he said, we did. And he says, as you get older, you realize, well, that's a little bit sick. He said, you sneak and do it on the side once in a while. But, you know, you kind of realize that's, that's really kind of sick, pulling the wings or can't fly. And he said, and he said, then I become a young man. And he said, I'm 15, 16 years old and I get saved. And he said, I have this sexual desire, this thing that's burning. And I read in God's word, and God said, I gave that to you. Now, don't you use that. I, I lit that fire in you, and don't you use that. 
And Don said, I thought I was cruel when I was a kid pulling the wings off a fly and they weren't allowed to use those wings. And he said, but I learned from the Lord, he said, if you will conquer that one thing, there are a thousand other giants in your life you will knock down. If you will conquer that one thing, and it so drives us, if you will conquer that, there's a thousand other things that are going to be way smaller. But it takes wholeheartedness. He says it here. Anyone who takes heed half-heartedly is going to fail to cleanse their way. It's interesting. We sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, written by Robert Robinson. The one verse, O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And the story of that goes, a woman riding in a stagecoach, reading that, and being amazed as she read it, tears in her eyes, and she happened to look across to the guy sitting across from her, he also had tears. And she handed to him, said, sir, what does, well, why are you emotional, what does this mean to you? And he said, 50 years ago, I wrote that. And I've been backslidden. I've been away from the Lord. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord. Take it and seal it. Seal it to thy throne above. Of course, he ended well, but that's the long way around the barn. Thy word, he, said, he says, with my whole heart, have I sought thee? Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Then next he says, thy word, and he tells now, have I hid in my heart, not in my head, that's an important part of the function, I've hid it in my heart, the deeper part of my being, that I might not sin against thee. It's interesting. Um, the, the word there in the Hebrew, when you study it to hide, is to conceal something that a thing might be private, it might be inaccessible, it might be treasured in a particular way, stored up is the first part of the translation they'll give you. It means to store up in one's heart as a secret, inaccessible treasure. And I believe David in his old age is, you know, he, he was never the king that he was before he committed adultery and murder. He was never the father, never had the authority in his family again. But he was a much greater psalmist. And the rest of the world, his sons and daughters, have, have benefited from his brokenness and his failure. And as an older man, he could say, you know, you, you read, you know, in, in uh, 2 Samuel 23, he, he says, the Lord spoke me, the Spirit of God spoke me, I'm the sweet psalmist of Israel. He doesn't say I'm the giant killer, I'm the greatest king. He said I'm the sweet psalmist of Israel. 
He said, God's word has to be stored up in one's heart as a secret, inaccessible treasure. I've done that. So wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed, observing, yielding to thy word, O Lord. And, and, and then he says, I've hidden it in my heart, my whole heart, he says. Let me not wander from thy commandments. And he says, I've hidden it there as, as a treasure, as a secret, as something that keeps us in the most difficult days. And look, some of this at 68, you know, um, there's a, I appreciate the body of Christ more than ever, my spiritual family, my physical family, but there's an also an isolation that comes that I, I don't understand all the time. There's a sanctified loneliness, you know. You come to the point you realize no matter what anybody else does around me, no matter who makes a left where they shouldn't, no matter what else goes on, Lord, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you. And somewhere in hospice, someday or somewhere, you're completely alone. And what matters then is what's between you and him. And it's what's always mattered. Because it's the crossing into eternity at that point. It's what's always mattered. Nothing else has ever in, in some ways. Have we treasured it in our hearts? Is it, is it something we've hidden there and stored up there as a reservoir to keep us? And as we've kept it there, look, we've hid God's word in our heart, not in our head. I think we should study all that, all that we're instructed in Scripture. It's not so I can win a theological argument. It's so that my way can be cleansed and I can live. The greatest theology is walking with a risen Savior. That's the greatest theology there is why he died on the cross. Is there something we keep out of reach that revenge doesn't get to it, pornography doesn't get to it, lust doesn't get to it, compromise doesn't get to it. We keep it stored in a place where it's a reservoir for us when we need it. We will learn that the easy way or the hard way, all of us. Look, again, I think of the Lord tempted his situation it's in Matthew and it's in Luke. Neither one of them were there. Matthew wasn't there. It was Jesus, the devil, in the wilderness. Uh, he hadn't called the disciples yet. Uh, Luke certainly wasn't there. They're the two that write about the temptation for us, which means at some point along the line, Jesus is sitting at the campfire with the guys. You know, somebody must make a statement about the devil or something. Jesus said, let me tell you something that happened before I called any of you. I was consecrating, I was setting myself aside to the Father. The Spirit had come upon me at baptism. And at my weakest point, hungry, after 40 days, that Satan, Lucifer, you're talking about, came to me. He didn't say, if you're the Son of God, class conditions, since you're the Son of God. Turn these stones into bread. You're the son of God. He affirmed it. Not if. He affirmed it. Since you are. You deserve to be out here starving. You deserve to be out here falling apart. 40 days. Are you kidding me? You're God's kid. He's keeping this from you. He's keeping that from you. You're God's son. You don't deserve this. You don't deserve. Certainly you deserve those things. You should live with dignity. You should live with fulfillment. You know, he comes to him. He says, since you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. 
And the answer is for you and I here this morning. Man. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It doesn't say, I have to be God's son to whoop you, Satan. I'm going to exercise my deity. He tells his disciples because he says, I answered in your place. I don't have to be deity to overcome temptation, to have my way cleansed. I just have to be a man filled with the Spirit and submitted to the Word of God by taking heed unto thy Word of God. Jesus said to the devil, Man, you think you can take me down? Let me answer you as a man that's filled with the Spirit and with the Word of God. Jesus answered for you and I, man, men's fellowship. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen.